Well, what's up, Venture Church family? If we have not gotten the chance to meet, my name is Vincent McMurtry, and I have the pleasure of being a part of our team here at Venture Church. More specifically, I have the privilege and the honor of leading the charge for our online campus. And I wouldn't want this moment to pass without giving you all, our digital community, a proper shout out. So thank you guys so much for the vital role that you play in helping us be a church for the unchurched, leading people to know, love, and follow Jesus. Not just here in South Mississippi, but across the globe. So thank you guys so much for what you do. And I'm so proud of where we've come since my time here. And I cannot wait to see where God is gonna take us over this next year. Well, Thanksgiving has passed, which means Christmas is on the way. So we've officially entered the most magical time of year. Happiness and cheer, it's a vibe, right? Come on, don't act brand new. I know some of you have had your Christmas tree up and ready to go 27 days ago. And that's just a fact, I'm not hating, I'm just calling it what it is. But nonetheless, happiness and cheer is in the air, right? Joy and good tidings to share, especially for us as Christians. I mean, we get to celebrate the greatest gift of all, that is God sending our Lord and Savior Jesus to heaven or to earth to complete the work, the way, and the word to heaven. And what a blessing that is, amen? Even the secular world lauds this season as peace on earth. So outside looking in, we should be in what we consider the most joyous time of year. But that's not the case for some of us though, is it? Unfortunately, for some people, this is a season more of stressing than blessing. Maybe you're going through it at work and you're trying to meet your year-end goal. Or maybe you're like some of us worried about our in-laws coming to town. That's stress in and of itself, right? Or maybe you have a final exam or some sort of project to complete while others are just worried about trying to keep up with the Joneses as it pertains to what's under your Christmas tree. But I think there's a special sect of people out there that have something a little deeper. Maybe you're walking into your first Christmas season without that specific loved one. Or maybe this season does nothing but remind you of how lonely you are. I guess what I'm trying to say is the season that we normally associate with happiness, right, with glow, for some people brings emptiness and sorrow. But I think what we've been trying to say through over the course of this series, and specifically what we're gonna be talking about today is to say, hey, that's okay. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So before we go any further today, if that is you, if you're feeling under pressure today, if you're feeling crushed by your circumstances, I want you to hear, number one, God sees you. And not only does he see you, but he hurts with and for you. And more importantly, he wants to raise you up out of that pit. Well, Vincent, how do I get from the pit to the place that God has for me? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Let's take a look at the story that we're gonna be coming from today. If you were with us last week, you remember that our campus pastor, uh, Kyle Warren, talked about the Apostle Paul. And he talked about what we call the prison letters. If you remember the overarching story, you will know that at this time, Paul has been imprisoned, he's in jail. And over the course of these letters, he's writing home to his friends. Not to complain about his situation, not to lament his suffering, but he's actually encouraging them. He say, hey, keep going, keep pushing forward, keep pressing. In fact, over the course of these four short chapters, he mentions the word joy, or the act of rejoicing, over 16 times, all from jail. Some prison he's in, huh? So. If you're following along with us today, if you have your Bibles, you're gonna to wanna to turn to Philippians. We're gonna be coming from chapter one, starting with verse 12. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's totally fine. My online people, you know this, you can follow along on the screen. So here we go. It's 
Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of self-ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So here we have Paul. He's a good man, a Christian, a Christ follower. He's doing the right thing. He's been spreading the word, going from place to place, preaching the gospel. And somehow, he's found himself in a place of suffering. He's found himself in jail. So off top, I don't know about you, but I'm asking myself, why must the good endure such struggles? But I think if we take a look at the Bible, over the course of the Bible, we see that it's low-key a theme. James, the brother of Jesus, warns us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be made perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Even Peter tells us, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So from David to Peter to James and now to Paul, we see that suffering is natural, a part of life even. And what I like is they tell us, hey, don't run from it, don't sweep it under the rug, but stay woke, because it's on the way. Suffering is coming your way at some point. You know, I've actually heard it said, to refuse suffering is to refuse personal growth. And I think that's the common denominator, the theme throughout all of these texts is that there is progress in the process. You know, I'm actually reminded of a scripture that I want to point to here in just a second, but I think about Paul and I say, he's got to be like me. We're all humans, right? And I pray, the same, I pray the same prayer as you do. Lord, place a hedge of protection around me and my family. Lord, let no hurt, harm, or danger come my way. Lord, be a light to my head and a lamp to my path, right? But I think what Paul is telling us in this moment is that he sees that, he's aware of that, but he knows that there's something on the other side. So how is he able to do that? And I think throughout this story, he's showing us that God will never put us to something that he can't bring us through. So we got to get through these things, right, to get to the other side. We don't go over, we don't go around, we don't go under. We got to go through it. 
And I'm reminded of this scripture that I don't know about you, but I had to memorize growing up in the days past in Sunday school, and that's Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's, it's through, right? It's through that we find our healing. It's through that we find our calling. It's through that we find clarity, that we find peace, that we find hope. But the way to get to these things is to get through them. You see, your suffering, it's not about where you are. It's about where you're going, right? And I think for some of us today, what you need is a new view. You need a perspective shift, a different angle, if you will, to move the focus from your circumstance to yourself. Because the fact of the matter is, God is more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. Your struggle is not about what God is doing to you. It's about what he's doing in you. So Vincent, how do I get there? What do I do? What is my plan to shift that perspective that you're speaking of? Well, if you're a note taker, you're gonna wanna pull out your pen, you're gonna pull out your paper. If you're taking notes in the chat, now is your time to key in, to listen, because we're gonna go through these perspective changes that I think you need to shift that focus. Number one, have awareness. Have awareness. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Not if, but when. You know, it doesn't matter how healthy you are in this moment or how great or perfect your marriage is going, how great your kids are, how successful you are at work at this specific moment in time. James is saying, when troubles come, right? So what do we do? Here recently, I was able to go visit a very good friend of mine, and we go way back, like four flats on a Cadillac. I'm talking like way back. We met in high school. We clicked up, well, we met in middle school, clicked up in high school, and the rest is history. And I mean, he is a guy that I've looked up to in so many different ways. He's very heavily spiritually rooted in his faith. He's also successful in the secular world. I'm talking prestigious HBCU graduate, world traveler, current Ivy League student, and he's on his way to become a U.S. diplomat. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, both spiritually and secularly, I classify this man as a, a, a he's a role model to me. I look up to him in a multitude of ways. So I go to New York for what I'm assuming is gonna be our typical hangout, theoretical, exegetical, dissertation-style conversation over all things family, faith, and fun. Over some uh, Sister Subert cinnamon rolls and Naked Juice, of course. Mango flavor, to be exact, shout out to Naked Juice, you are doing great things. But I quickly realized that this wasn't the same old high school or even college-age issues or topics being broached. We talked a lot about how we're older now, I mean, and with age comes new seasons, new goals, new problems. And I think in that moment, I was able to see that while this is a man who's experienced some high highs, he's experienced some very low lows over this past year as well. His family lost one of his younger brothers to a fatal climbing accident earlier this year. And things aren't so peachy at home either. All the while, he has another younger brother who's trying to get through college, and at the same time, he's putting himself through graduate school. So you can only imagine the strain, the strife, the struggle that this family's had to endure over this past year. And I remember one night in particular, we're sitting there and we're talking, and he looks me in the eye and he says, man, the grief from losing my brother, the struggle, the pressure that I feel on my shoulders from grad school, all of these different things is just weighing down on me. And I don't know how I'm gonna get through it. But it's times like this that I'm reminded that I'm going through this season for a reason, 
that God is gonna use this to edify not only me as a Christian, but edify his kingdom. And can I just say that was a moment for me? I mean, this dude that I looked up to for the better half of my life and this dude that I consider another brother of mine to see him so broken, so in shambles, so raw in this moment with me, was really something that kind of shook me to my core. Not because he was weak, not because he was vulnerable, not because he expressed emotion, but because he had the spiritual awareness to say, hey, what I'm going through right now might not be good, but the God that I serve is. So I don't know, maybe whatever your struggle is today, maybe that's the, maybe that's the viewpoint that you need to take. I wonder how many of us are faking it till we make it. I wonder how many of us are so busy trying to keep it afloat that you're missing the boat on the reason for your season. How many of you are actually pretending when you should be contending with what's going on in your life? You know, I think about these stories. I think about Paul, right? History considered this man as, I mean, he, he's everything. He's a leader of a movement, right? He's a disciple. He spread the gospel. He's responsible for what we know as the church now. But he finds himself in jail for doing the very thing that we know him for. I think about Joseph, who started in the field and found himself at the right-hand side of Pharaoh, but was sold out by his own blood, his brothers. And I think about my friend in this situation, who's dealing with what he's going through, but the common denominator between all of these stories is that they have the right outlook. They have their eyes set above. They know that they have a greater calling over their lives and that they're going through this season for a reason. And maybe that's what you need to shift your perspective to. I'll tell you like this, a wise woman once told me, life is hard, but God is good. So whatever you're going through today, whatever your struggle, whatever your circumstance, whatever your pain may be, maybe that's what you need to hear today. You need a subtle reminder that God is good and he sees you, he hurts for you, and he wants to rise you up out of what you're going through. So slow down, acknowledge your pain, acknowledge your struggle, and let's struggle well. Number two, have grace. Let's take a look at that second piece of scripture. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I love that he uses the word various because it's a reminder to me that it's different strokes for different folks, right? You're going through different things than I'm going through. You're in a different season than I'm in. My wife is writing three papers. Your wife is raising three kids. What causes me to assume the fetal position might not cause you to shake at all. You can sit in the car rider line for hours on end while I can't stand to sit at a stoplight for more than a minute. I think you get my drift, right? Well, some of you know this, some of you don't. I have a twin brother. His name is Vincent. He lives across the world in Stockholm. And I think we got a picture of him and his family. He's a brand new father. That's my family right there. That's Johanna, my brother Vincent, and baby Hattie. Shout out to the McSweeds. I cannot wait to spend Christmas with you all. But like I said, they're both teachers. And I think if you're a teacher, this will kind of click with you. This will resonate with you. You'll vibe with what I'm saying. My brother's a music teacher, so obviously he is obsessed and passionate about music. But more importantly, he wants to spark that. He wants to spark that fire in the next generation. So he spends a lot of time lesson planning. And then this one day in particular, he's super excited to get to class to show this lesson that he's been working on all weekend. Well, he goes in and he shares the lesson and unfortunately it falls flat. I'm talking total dud. So off top, he's mad. He's upset because there's no learning that has taken place. The kids don't understand what's going on and even more, he's mad at himself like the Enneagram three that he is because he feels like he's failed. He feels like I'm a terrible teacher, right? But my question is, where's the grace? Where's the grace? 
Grace for yourself, that's the new father. Grace for the man adjusting to the new schedule. Grace for the guy who was up all night and got up early this morning. Grace for the teacher that every, that every 183 other days of the year actually does hit the nail on the head with this lesson plan. And I think when we have grace with ourselves, when we understand that just because we fall does not mean we've failed, we're able to have grace with those around us. And I think about the kids in that moment. I think about those kids who maybe they're going through something that he doesn't even know about. Maybe it has nothing to do with music. Maybe they forgot to eat their Wheaties this morning, or maybe they failed their math test before they came to class. Everybody's going through something, right? And I think the bottom line is, is for us to have grace with others, we have to experience that we have experienced grace for ourselves. And the point is we've all experienced grace, whether you know it or not. If you're watching online today, wherever you are, you've experienced grace because you're a child of God. Grace is favor from God that we can't earn. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can attain. There's nothing that we can strive toward to make ourselves earn the grace more so than the man next to us. The Bible says in John 1, 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not something from yourselves. It's a gift of God. You see, grace is important in our struggle because it not only allows us to struggle well, but it gives us the perspective we need to struggle well with those around us. I'm reminded of a song from the great psalmist Bill Withers. You might know this one. He says, lean on me when you're not strong. You remember singing with me? And I'll be your friend, right? I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. He even says later in the song, I might have a problem that you'll understand because we all need somebody to lean on. So let's have grace, grace for ourselves, grace for those around us. I lean on you, you lean on me. And ultimately, we lean on God, right? The author and perfecter of our faith, the one true source, the one true light, our one true hope. And that's our final thing today, let's have hope. Number three, have hope. Let's check back in on our boy, Paul. He's still over there in jail. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, be, to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress, for your joy in the faith. And I don't know about you, man, but I read that scripture and my first thought is, what? Paul, you are built different. You got something that I don't have. Because, I mean, you're in jail. You're up under the jail. You're chained to another man. You've done what is good, and somehow you're struggling. You've been spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, but now you find yourself in jail. No food, no water, no family. You've lost your job. You've lost everything you've ever actually cared about, and now you're all alone. But you're saying here, while you'd rather depart and be with Christ, you know that you're going to stay because it's better for me. It's better for us. It's better for your work in, the, in, in this great body of Jesus Christ? And my question is, where does this hope come from? You may be familiar with the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. The Bible says in Hebrews 16, in Hebrews 6:19, that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So as we examine that old hymn, as we look at this text, we see that Paul is able to hold on. He's able to push through. He's able to persevere because he has his eyes on the prize. He knows that it's his faith. It's his faith in Jesus Christ. It's his faith in, it's his faith in God that is the reason that he can hold on, that he can keep pushing through, that he knows that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that he's trekking through. And maybe that's what you need today. Maybe you don't need a three-step uh, deal. Maybe you don't need a pamphlet on pain. Maybe what you need is a simple, subtle reminder that God is with you, that he's for you, and that you have a greater hope in this season that you're in. You know, whether you've been taking notes or not, whether you've been listening or not, whatever it is, whatever it may be, this is the one thing that you're going to want to know from this, from this whole text today. If you haven't heard anything else that I've said, you want to write this down. I'm talking, like Jeff said, tattoo it on your forehead, sharpie it on your mirror, put it somewhere. Because the fact of the matter is, is your struggle, your circumstance, your pain, whatever it is, is a room that you're walking through, not a house that you have to live in. Did you hear me? It's a room that you're walking through, not a house that you have to live in. Talk about a perspective shift. So what do we need to do to shift our perspective from our circumstance to ourself? Number one, recognize your struggle. Name it, look at it, face it, and gain the spiritual awareness that you need to struggle well. Number two, be gracious. Be gracious with yourself about the struggle. And not only extend grace to yourself, but have, the, but have that godly grace to be able to extend it to those around you. And lastly, don't give up. Keep pushing, keep fighting forward and cling to God because he's working something in you in this season for a reason. Because the fact of the matter is maybe you aren't meant to change your circumstances. Maybe your circumstances are meant to change you. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church podcast. To find a campus near you, check out venturechurch.org.